Welcome to the Cross Loganville podcast. Today we are in our December sermon series, Advent, the Anticipation. Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to the Cross Loganville. We're in our Advent series, and today I want to talk about the indescribable gift. And it's going to be a fun word to kind of contemplate and consider with you guys today. As Rick said, the easiest way to access who we are is via our website. Please go there and check out the variety of options that he mentioned even in that video there, okay? So one of the things for us here is uh, one of our core values is living a life of generosity. You'll hear us talk about this, that we believe that living a life of generosity is our greatest apologetic to this lost and dying world around us, which means God has called us all to live like faithful, good managers and stewards over what he has entrusted to us. And so December is usually just an incredible month here. I want to encourage you guys, let's continue to stay faithful to the Lord. Let's stay generous and let's stay benevolent. And let's continue to give faithfully to the Lord as we wrap up this year. If you look back over the calendar year, We've seen a 12% increase on Sunday morning in worship here. That's a huge win, right? And the student ministry culture uh, that Rick oversees, we've seen a 33% increase in that student ministry culture, right? It's incredible to see how many young people are being exposed to the gospel. And uh, even our preschool has gone Monday through Friday from around 95 kids to about 125 kids Monday through Friday that are on the grounds here. So we're seeing so much growth in so many areas. Our small groups have increased. Participation has increased greatly. And so I want to see us finish 2023 very strong and put, a, put ourselves in a great position as we walk into 24. All right? We believe, and you'll see like t-shirts and bracelets and all this. We, this is what we say, your story matters. And missionally, we're about connecting your story to Christ and to others. And four of the big pillars that kind of support who we are is about reaching the lost. It's about teaching fundamental truth. Every week we open the word, we're expository uh, in our teaching for the most part here. Uh, we believe in training people to grow and mature and we believe in sending people out to represent the kingdom, whether it's here, uh, locally, nationally, globally, or whatever. And so that's what I've been committed to for these many years of walking with Jesus. How can we be in a position to reach lost people with the gospel, to teach them the fundamentals and uh, the truth of God's word, train them, and then send them out? And so when you give, you're a part of a larger mission. We're all in this together. Let's stay faithful. There's giving envelopes in the back of the uh, seat back in front of you. There's a, there's a card you can scan. It will take you to our website, to the Give app. Let's finish this year in a very strong way. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that we get to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so I pray now in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be open to you and that you would have total permission in each person in this room, those watching online, to bring about just a deep uh, work of transformation. We need you, we praise you, we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next few weeks, the world is going to celebrate, if you will, their version of what Christmas is all about. 
And it's interesting to look culturally at how many celebrate it because so little has to do with Christ. I mean, look at our culture. Look at where the emphasis is. Watch the movies that are being promoted. And for most people during this holiday season, it's going to be hollow days, not holy days, and most people are going to be completely oblivious to even why we celebrate Christmas. That's the reality. The truth is that one event that happened some 2,000 years ago when God entered the world in human flesh changed human history. It is the centerpiece of civilization. Even look at the calendars that we use today, the BC, the AD. If you go back and even ponder that, what, is, what does it mean, BC? Is that the most accurate way to say it? We say before Christ. Well, as I unpackage today truth to you, there's never been such a time in history of before Christ. There was before the incarnation of Christ, but he's always been. People say A.D. I remember as a young kid, they said A.D. means after death. It really means in Latin, Adonai, in the year of our Lord. Why? Because we serve a risen Savior. He has been elevated and he is now seated at the right hand of God. So we're not serving this dead God. He's alive. Now, the exact date of when Jesus entered the world and became human doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Based on study, I can tell you that December 25th was not the date. It was ascribed as a date based on some of the pagan practices of that day. The date itself is not important to me. What is important to me and foundational for me is that God took on a human earth suit, human uniform, and became human. That is what is important. It's foundational for everything I believe. There's basic facts when I look at it, right? Jesus, the Son of God, was born some 2,000 years ago. He was born in the little town of Bethlehem, even Micah 5, 2, oh, Bethlehem. You are but a small Judean village, but out of you is going to come the birthplace of the king. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which means that no disease-infected sinful blood entered into him. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He came as Savior, Lord, King of Kings. He came to fulfill heaven's heart. Do you know that when Jesus was born, that he fulfilled over 300 prophecies that is given to us in the Old Testament? The date that he came is not that important. That he came is crucial to me. And so, that's what we pause to celebrate. Now, these are biblical facts that I'm laying out to you, and you know that I love biblical truth. I believe one of the strongest passages in the Scripture to contemplate who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do is Philippians chapter 2. Now, most often people, when they contemplate the Christmas narrative, they'll go to the Gospel of Matthew chapters 1 and 2. They'll go to the Gospel of Luke. 
But I personally believe that Philippians 2 is one of the strongest revelations of who Jesus Christ is, starting in verse 5 of Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset, have this perspective, have this attitude that existed in Jesus. That's the premise. Though he was God, not less than God, we're going to get to that. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up divine privileges, which means that Jesus was willing to lay aside deitic privileges that he had to become a servant. It says he took the humble position of a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. If you continue to read, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and he's given uh, Jesus the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God. There's three truths I want to share with you as we contemplate this indescribable gift. The first one would be this, God came to earth. God came to earth. This shouldn't blow our minds that the God of all creation was willing to come to earth. Have this attitude in yourselves. It existed in Christ. Though he was God, though he was God, the headlines back in July of 1969, the headlines read, man has landed on the moon. It was the big headlines of that day. And people were so blown away. Neil Armstrong made this statement. This is one small step for man. It's a giant leap for mankind. And the world applauded. The world celebrated because they considered this. The improbable has happened. We sent a man to the moon. And this was a major breakthrough for NASA. But let me tell you, it doesn't compare to the fact that God landed on the earth. It doesn't compare. The God of all creation is willing to enter humanity in the person of Christ. James Irwin, he was an astronaut on Apollo 15 mission a few years later than Neil Armstrong. And James Irwin made this observation. He said the entire space achievement, listen to this, the entire space achievement is put in proper perspective when one realizes that God walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. He says, I believe God walked on the earth some 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, and I have totally yielded my life to the Lord to tell people everywhere about the life-changing message of Christ. He didn't say he had yielded his life to tell people about how cool NASA was and how cool it was and the thrill he got from moonwalking. He didn't say that. He goes, I have dedicated my life to tell people everywhere that God has landed on the earth. If you read James Irwin's testimony, 
He died at around the age of 61. But James Irwin said that when he agreed and NASA selected him to be a part of that Apollo mission 15, he says, when I went there to space and to the moon, he said, at best, I was lukewarm. I was a very carnal, lukewarm person. But he said, I had such a major breakthrough with the God of all creation while being on the moon. He said, God revealed himself in supernatural ways that I made a declaration to God while on the moon, if he allowed me to come back, that I would go everywhere and tell everybody about the gospel. And I'm like, what is the greater achievement? Yeah, that's a breakthrough. Man's landed on the moon. It com- it's no comparison. It pales in comparison that God would land on the earth. Listen to this, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Some shepherds were in the fields outside the village. And the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. Listen, guys, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem. What's the statement? Hey, shepherds, the impossible, the unthinkable, the unimaginable has happened. God has landed on the earth. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the King of Kings, he's been born. He's now human. The fascinating thing is I contemplate the beauty of who Jesus Christ really is, is this. Jesus did not start in a stable. He did not start, in his beginning, did not start in a feeding trough. He has existed before there was even such a thing as creation. You will hear me say that Jesus didn't start when start got started. He started start. And Jesus didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning. Thus, before there was time, Jesus has always existed as God. Colossians chapter 1 is one of the most powerful statements, if you will, about the preeminence of Christ. Listen to what he says, Colossians 1, verse 15. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God which means he is the exact representation and revelation of who the Father is. He is the exact image, the image, the revelation, the representation, all that God, the triune God is, is is revealed in Christ. Verse 16, for by Jesus, he, all things, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. All things have been created through him, and all things exist for him. Why do you exist? You exist for the glory of God. You exist to know Christ in a personal way. Why? Because he is before all things. That's what he says. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things are held together. You say, this is absolutely mind-blowing when we pause and we go, the preeminence of Christ, that's what theologians call it. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ is supreme. He is to have rule, dominion, authority over everything. Joseph, that includes our lives, brother. That includes our lives. The question is, who is Jesus? Let me tell you this. This is the most important question 
that has ever been asked. And every human being that has ever taken a breath must answer this question. And the way we answer this question is the difference between eternal life and eternal damnation. Who is Jesus? Who is he? He is God's son. He's a center savior. He's the centerpiece of all civilization. Who is he? And because Jesus Christ is preeminent or supreme, there should not be one thing in our lives that rival his glory in our lives. Everything, anything in our lives must be constantly evaluated. And we must ask the question, do I allow anything to rival the supremacy and the glory and the honor of Jesus in my life? And if, it, if we do, we must deal thoroughly with that issue. I can't worship him and have idols. I can't worship him and have these small G gods. We must eliminate everything. Even the gospel writer of John, he would say it this way, in the beginning. When? In the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through who? Him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him, in him, the word, the logos, was life. And the life was the light of man. Greek scholars will look at this passage and they will tell you that the word W-O-R-D capitalized in the beginning once the word. It's the word logos. It means the exact representation, radiance, revelation of who God is. In the beginning was the word. And they will tell you that the word is the power that puts sense into this world. It is the power that set the world in perfect order and calmed the chaos. The word it's the ultimate reason, Mama Kay, that gives reason and meaning to anything. It is the Logos, the Word. He has always existed. He's always existed. And if we will get our minds wrapped around, he is so much greater and so much more grand than just pausing this time of year and getting fascinated with a baby in a crib. He's much greater than that. I don't worship a king and a savior that's in a crib. You're not going to do it. I worship the life that he lived. I worship the death and burial and resurrection. And I worship the fact that he is seated at the right hand of the Father today and he lives to make intercession for us. I worship the risenness and the powerful, preeminent Christ that he is. Tomorrow I will celebrate being on this planet 61 years. And I can promise you, we had a party last night. All of my kids, grandkids, family members were there. Can I tell you, we did not sit around. And nobody had one picture of when I was born. Nobody had one picture, Rachel, of me being in a diaper. Nobody had one picture of me nursing for the first time. We didn't look at that. You embrace me for who I am today. And if we really celebrate the Christ of Christmas, we Embrace him for who he is today. 
He is the risen king, the Lord of lords. He is savior. He is the rescuer. And Jesus made this statement. Hey, guys, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that should be the desperate cry of our hearts in here today, that when other people see us, that they would look at us and say, you know, when I see you, Joe, when I see you, Steve, when I see you, Julie, I see the Father. I see the heart of heaven. Second observation I would make would be this. God came to earth as a man. This is crucial. He didn't come as an angel. He didn't come as a cosmic-like figure amongst us, right? He came as a human being, as a man. He was born as a baby in extreme poverty to a virgin teenager. What an entrance he made. It contradicted all of the logical minds of religious leaders that day. They had anticipated that when Messiah came, he would come in royalty, he would come with splendor, and Jesus entered in the lowest of all low conditions, born to a virgin peasant girl who was betrothed and engaged to a guy that was a carpenter, and he came into the world in the lowest of all low conditions. I've thought about that over the years. Why did you come into the world in such a way? Because I wanted the world to know that there's not one person lower than I'm willing to go. There's not one person so dirty that I will not save, that I will not redeem, that I will not enter into their chaos with them. I came in the lowest of conditions. I came to identify with the lowly, the humble, the broken, the poor, the hurting John Mark. That's why he came. When you read verse 7, of Philippians 2, it says, he gave up divine privileges. He gave up divine privileges and he took the humble position of a servant and was willing to become a human, man, a human being. He was born with a human body. He was born with flesh. He was born with blood, with bones, with hair, with lungs. And, and, and when we contemplate this, the problem in culture today is that oftentimes they associate Jesus or even define Jesus as if he's this mythical character. They put him in the same boat with Santa and they put him in the same boat with Rudolph and Frosty and a Easter bunny or whatever. And in our culture, he's been treated like he's a myth instead of a real person. He is the centerpiece of all civilization. I stop today, Rick, and I ponder as I consider the incredible narrative of what Christmas really is all about. I stop and I ponder the power of incarnation. Incarnation that God would be willing to stoop to our level and become a man. That he would come to earth. He would show us what the Father is like. He would come. He would come and show us what a healthy example looks like to honor God with your life. He would come to save you, to redeem you, to lead you, to restore you, to guide you. Why did you come? I came to, to reveal the heart of heaven. I came as a human. I was 100% God, and I was 100% man. And that's the reason even the writer of the Gospel of John in verse 14 says, and the word, the logos the ultimate reason that gives reasoning and meaning to anything. The word became flesh 
and blood and dwelt among us, moved into our neighborhood, tabernacles amongst humanity, and we beheld his glory, the sum of the full awesomeness of God, all of his attributes, we beheld his glory. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. Do you not get it when we celebrate it? As you contemplate and consider the power of who Jesus Christ really is, you stop and you go, so what's significant about him becoming flesh and blood? He was born like us, just like us, like millions and billions of other babies. He goes, I'm going to be born just like that. People go, man, the birth, man, of Christ was so miraculous. Stop. The conception was miraculous. He was born just like you and I. When you look at his life, when you look at his life, it had to be mind-blowing to the shepherds and these others. Like, why would God do this? Why would God be willing to stoop to such lows? 100% God, 100% man. He was born like us. He grew like us. The scripture says in Luke 2.52, and I've prayed this over my kids forever. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in stature. He grew in favor with man, in favor with God. Jesus grew like us. He grew like us. I've been playing with this thought over the last few days. I was talking to my friend Morgan yesterday about it. But think about this. We live in this culture where there's so much information at our fingertips. You jump on your iPad, you jump on your iPhone, and you can Google and research and do whatever you want to do. And it's like, man, I just got information. It's amazing how people want to parade their information around in front of others. It's just information. It's just data. It's just stuff. But there's such a huge gap between information and knowledge. Knowledge is where you start to have some type of clue of what the information is all about. And people today are parading their knowledge. People today are getting on television and other places, and they want to talk about how knowledgeable they are. They want to talk about their PhDs and their degrees and whatever. And I go, stop it. There's such a huge gap between information and even being knowledgeable. But then there's a huge gap between having knowledge and having understanding. But there's even a greater gap between having understanding and having wisdom. This young girl asked me yesterday, she said, so how do I gain wisdom? I said, you're 24 years old, baby. Let me tell you something. There's no shortcuts to wisdom. There's a lot of failure. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of pressing into the Lord. There's a lot of life experience. How, how do you gain wisdom? It's when you take the information with the knowledge and with the understanding and you're able to implement it guided by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for the good of others. And that's the reason I see much a, uh, such a mistreatment of information and knowledge because you, people are not doing it for the glory of God and the good of the other, they're doing it just to elevate themselves. I'm pondering this yesterday. I didn't even like, I didn't think about using it this morning, but I was like, no. But Jesus grew in wisdom. What does it look like to become wise? You have to grow in it. You have to develop it. Even when you start to study the great minds, even of the Old Testament, you look at the life of Solomon and God goes, what do you want? And he didn't ask for wealth. He said, I want, I want wisdom. Even James would write, if any of you lack wisdom, 
Pursue God, ask God, seek God. I sit there and I'm like, man, Jesus grew like us, John Mark. There were certain things he learned. He was 100% man and 100% God. And I've sat there and pondered over the years, wonder what it would have looked like. Like Jesus had four brothers, he had siblings. What would it have looked like to grow up in the house with God? What would that have looked like? I know some of y'all act like you God in your house. But I was sitting there going, man, did Jesus, hmm, did Mary ever look at them other brothers and sisters and say, why can't you be more like Jesus? If that would have been the case in our house, right? If Barb and I had had that privilege of bringing up Jesus and he would have been in our house and she would have said to the other ones, why can't you be more like Jesus? Jesse would have looked at her and would have said, why can't you be more like Jesus? (laughs) Because that boy never knew how to walk away from a, a, a conflict or a debate. But I did. I, I was sitting there pondering the, even the narrative. I'm like, but how do you? I mean, you're a young teenage girl when you conceive and have birth, uh, give birth to Jesus. How do, you, how do you effectively parent God? How do you not show favoritism? Maybe that's why James would write that in, the gospel, in his little epistle writing that The true heart of the gospel shows no partiality and favoritism. (laughs) Maybe he knew it better than anybody else. (laughs) Jesus, were you born like us? Yeah. Did you grow like us? Yeah. Were you tempted like us? Yes. Even Hebrews says he was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. He experienced pressures and temptations. You go back to Matthew 4. After 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness and the enemy, Satan comes against him and he says, if you're, if you're really the son of God, if you're really God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? He was tempted like you and I. Was he tempted to lie, steal, cheat? He was tempted just like you and I, but he never gave in to the struggle. How did he do that? Was he so leaned in and pressed in and connected with the Father that he had the ability just to totally deny flesh? He did. Do you and I have the ability to say no to the flesh? We do. If I went around this room right now and stopped at each individual and asked you this question, hey, hey, Tara, can you go a week without sinning? What would you say? What would you say? Can you go a week without sinning? Then I would say, hold on, since you're so quick to say no, can you go 30 seconds without sinning? Yeah, I can go 30 seconds without sinning. Well, if you can go 30 seconds without sinning, can you go a minute? Well, if you can go a minute, can you go two minutes? Can you go 60 minutes? So you get 1,440 minutes in a day and 10,080 in a week. So if you can go 30 seconds, what's the secret? So the secret is not focusing, Tony, on not sinning. The secret is staying plugged in to the life source of who Christ is and the Holy Spirit. 
So the same life source that gives me the power to say no to the flesh in this 30-second window that I'm going, no, I'm saying yes to Jesus, yes, that same power is available for the next 30 seconds and the next 30 seconds. So are you saying that you'll never sin again? No, that's free Methodist terminology that you arrive, and I'll never arrive. But I'm telling you, that it's possible to stay plugged in so that when you face those temptations with Christ now being inside of you, you do have the ability to say first and foremost yes to him so that you can say no to whatever the snag is. Another thing is Jesus was not only tempted, but he suffered like us, but even more. He felt pain. He felt disappointment. He got tired. We read in scripture, he cried He was human. Even Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, my soul, the core of who I am, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Again, I made a statement a few weeks ago that when Barb's dad died and I held her after the death of her dad, I had never heard such a soulistic grief cry like I did that night. And it broke my heart. I know she is acquainted with grief. My friend Tanya was here this morning. Her and Barb sitting side by side. When my buddy Benji passed away on October 28th, she has been crushed with grief. Where are you going to go? Who can identify with you even in your grief? I know one. His name is Jesus. He suffered He can relate to me when I'm experiencing pain and problems and adversity and attacks. Jesus became what we are so that we could become what he is and who he is. Here's a third thought. God came to earth in the form of a man to die. That's why he came. Verse 8 of Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He humbled himself and willfully walked the Via Della Rosa, died a criminal's death on the cross in obedience with a posture of humility to the Father. He went to the cross and willfully laid down his life to atone for sin once and for all. He didn't didn't leave the portals of heaven and enter earth to stay in a crib. From the time he stepped out of heaven and took on a human earth uniform, he was fixated on the cross. Why did you come? I came to die. He didn't have to. He could have called armies of angels at any given time. And we know that. Nobody put Jesus on the cross without his own permission. He willfully laid it aside to become the atoning sacrifice for sin once and for all. That's the reason when John the Baptist saw him initially as Jesus was about to launch his public ministry, he goes, there he is. There is the Lamb of God that will forever take away the sin of the world. 
So as we pause and contemplate the indescribable gift of who Jesus really is, listen to me. You've got to stop and go, so why did he, why did he go to the cross? And why did he die a criminal's death? You know why he did it? One, he did it to demonstrate God's love. We define love as doing that which is most redemptive for the other person. For God so loved, agapeo, agape love. It means, basic shelf, it means that God, listen to this, God was willing to do that which was most redemptive for you and I. So if love is doing that which is most redemptive for the other person, what is the opposite of love? It is not hate. It would be pride because pride is all about doing that which is most redemptive and beneficial for me. He goes, man, I came to demonstrate God's love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still yet helpless and we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It's not like he died for us when the posture of our heart was ready for that. He died when we were reckless and rebellious and lost in our sin. So when you stop and consider the Christmas narrative, it declares God so loved that God gave. When did you come? I came to demonstrate heaven's heart, God's love. That's, what, that's why I came. And then he came to declare God's salvation. There's salvation in no other name outside of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Listen to what he says. 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins. Our that would include me, you, everybody that's ever lived, everybody that will ever live until Christ returns. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, so that, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. What Jesus did some 2,000 years ago it's the difference maker if we're willing to respond, repent, and receive that gift. It changed my life. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. I was having a conversation with a young man last night. He said, you know, Dad, I was reading and I was pondering this. One of my kids, right? <laughs> young man last night. Dad, listen to this. He said, I was reading this where we've got this black wolf and this white wolf inside of us. And the guy said, whichever wolf you feed is the wolf that's going to win. He goes, man, I like that. You like that, Dad? And I said, absolutely not. He goes, why don't you like that? I said, because reality is when I came to place my faith in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and behold, all things become new. I said, the very nature that God has given me now is not an old flesh nature and a new spirit nature. I have one nature and it's the nature of the Holy Spirit. I said, so if you're going through life thinking it's up to you, what am I going to feed? I've still got a sin nature and I've still got this a new nature now that God's given me. You're going to live a confused life. God has crucified my sin nature. 
he's like, I have never thought about that. I said, it's true. So if we discover who we are in Christ and who God says we are, the gap with most people that even affiliate with church is they never discover their identity in Christ. And so they allow those flesh patterns to be aroused because they go, well, that's just my nature. No, my nature is to honor God. My nature is righteous. My nature is to walk holy. That's my nature now. That's my nature. So I better allow the Holy Spirit to activate what my nature is so that what I end up doing now becomes natural role as a result of this nature. Because if you allow the flesh to control you and patrol you, your natural inklings is still going to be flesh because you don't know who you are. Jesus, why did you come? I came to deliver you from that old. I came to set you free from that. You, you, you did? Yes. You're in Christ? I, I'm, I'm in Christ. Are you new? I'm brand new. There was a blood transfusion that took place back in October of 1985 that radically changed who I was. So, yeah, I'm cool with pausing and tapping the brakes and going, hey, man, December 11th. That's the date that I was born, 1962. Look at you. But let me tell you something, bro. You did not start to live until October of 1985. Just because you physically came into the world there, you were dead until, bam, October of 1985. When did you come alive? When I became a new creation. When I experienced God's salvation. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save that which was. Y'all with me? All right. So, the gift for you the indescribable gift has got to be received. For your loved ones, for your family members, it's got to be received. And you can't live on borrowed convictions and hand-me-downs, and you can't try to draft off of somebody else's faith. Am I going to anchor in fully with Christ, Morgan, and just let Jesus take over who I am? Yes. Let's pray it up. Let's move into a time of worship and a time of continued communion with God. So, so spend a few moments, spend a few moments right now just thanking God for loving you. But, but thank him that he was willing to lay aside like these deistic privileges and take on the like human flesh and come to earth and, and thank him. Thank God. It's like, ah, oh, the most amazing thing that happened ever in humanity is God came to earth. That, that's, that's like crazy. And then that God who was willing to leave heaven and come to earth would die a criminal's death and be resurrected. The only God that people serve that defeated death all in the grave, that same God that was placed in the ground after he died a criminal's death was raised and now he's seated back in the heaven where he came from. I'm like, ah, oh, what a return. Like the two, to me, the two most amazing events that ever happened was the birth, God, you came in human form, and then the resurrection. 
if the resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings, then the birth of Christ is the door. Even in John 10, Jesus says, I am the door, the gate. So we celebrate these these pivotal, like life-changing pivotal events. God became human. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death. He wore the sin and bore the sin of all humanity. Man, he was placed in the grave. Now he's been raised and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he lives to make intercession for the saints. There is one mediator between God and man. And it is the man, 100% man, 100% God, man, Christ Jesus. So at the name of Jesus, Jesus, God is my salvation. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God. Jesus Christ is Lord, master, authority, ruler. He is preeminent. He's supreme. Yes. Spend time praising that God. Spend time praising him.